0: Oh, it hit 10,000 views. I've never had that on a video before. Oh, it hit hundred thousand views. Oh my god. Within a couple of days, I had gone from maybe 600 subscribers to a thousand
1: to 2,000 really quickly.) <laughs> Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, a show about music industry and music artistry. My name's Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. And Mike Malone is on the show today. Mike Malone is one of the giggingest drummers in Wisconsin, and he has a fantastic YouTube channel that's growing quickly. We talk about how he has created a sustainable way of making regular videos on YouTube. We'll talk about his Pension for neatness and organization and how that has influenced his workflow. We'll talk about how he deals with contracting in the bands that he leads. Along with his music major, he got a minor in marketing and we'll talk a little bit about how that marketing degree has helped him in his music career. And those of you who listen, know that I released a single on the 28th of November. It was indeed placed on an editorial playlist, but it took until two days ago. It's the 11th of December now. So it took like over a week for them to place it on an editorial playlist and within you know half a day there was like a thousand streams on the track and i was like whoa uh so it's it's pretty amazing the difference that getting placed on an editorial playlist makes well, here, I'll just read you what we pitched because this is the, exactly the kind of stuff I wanted to know when I was first getting started pitching songs. I found what Jason pitched because he sent it to me. It says, Jazz trumpeter Adam Meckler has teamed up again with producer JFab on this remix of the lo-fi track Crunchy Leaves. Meckler and Jfab are a match made in heaven. Beats are lifted to a higher level when Adam plays his trumpet, this time with many crunchy layers and harmonies. This artist-producer team has already seen success with their track Ghosted being placed on Jazztronica. This track would also be a great fit for Jazztronica, jazz vibes, chill out jazz, etc. Enjoy the coziness. So yeah, I mean, it's like a pitch, you know? So when you collaborate with someone, you can pitch on both sides. Like Because it's being released under two different artist names, I can pitch it to Playlists and so can Jason. So it kind of strengthens your chances of getting placed so I guess that's a little bit of good news and I hope it helps you next time you decide to pitch a song on Spotify and without further ado here's my conversation with Mike Malone how's it going I've been watching all your videos I appreciate that thank you yeah yeah that's cool so uh, hey I, uh, I want to learn a little bit about you because we, we really haven't worked together we have a lot of mutual friends and um, did you were you an Eau Claire student? Did you go to Eau Claire for music school? Yeah, that's right. I was at, o-
0: at Eau Claire, uh, 2009 to 2014. Okay.
1: Yeah. So a little after me and what did you study there?
0: Uh, I was a music liberal arts major and then, uh, I had a marketing minor.
1: Okay. Marketing minor. Interesting. So what did you do in your marketing minor? I mean, like, what I see visually on your channel l- looks great. And like the way you structure your videos are really cool. And we could kind of dig into that a little bit, but what did you learn in your like marketing minor that you use now?
0: I thought that wasn't something I originally intended to do necessarily. I started out as a music ed major. And when I decided to switch after my first strict education class, kind of realizing that wasn't for me. Uh, my dad was the one who suggested I should do marketing because he thought it would be, super applicable to the idea of you know being a freelance musician and he had kind of watched me as a high schooler promote shows book shows yep. organize band practices and stuff so i think he saw that i had a a knack for that already and that i'd probably enjoy it yeah but what i really liked about that i mean honestly i feel like every music school should require especially on a performance track But even on an education track, I think of band directors as like CEOs of their music program. Yep. Everyone should get at least some sort of marketing coursework and stuff, or maybe even just some standard business procedure and practice and understand how that world operates. Yeah. Because I found it really helpful because I think my marketing professors knew that I wasn't going to be applying for standard jobs and taking the normal track and they were kind of open to me, utilizing, you know, my projects for those courses and trying to apply them to my own, you know, music sphere. And, uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it and just getting some of the general principles and ideology of marketing from a more textbook standpoint, I think was super helpful. And
1: I still think about a lot of that today with what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've, I've said the same thing a lot, you know, is that like, man, we really need more from music education programs. And actually one of the questions I had prepared was like, was there something that you wish you had learned in your music program that you didn't learn, you know, but like it sounds like doing that marketing minor really checked some of those boxes stuff that I didn't learn that I really had to figure out on my own. I mean, I assume like some of the business stuff, cause you, you manage, I I think I learned uh, you, you got that funk band pocket Kings. Um, you, you manage all of that and like you, you do all the booking for that band.
0: Yeah. Most of the groups I play with, I kind of handle the booking. Um, I don't know. I just always gravitated towards doing that. Honestly, if someone else in the band wanted to do it, it would probably be stressful for me to sit back and not be hands-on with that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would struggle with that, but honestly, most of the people I play with kind of enjoy that. I just take the reins on that yeah i was gonna, gonna say just most people probably
1: music. yeah most people probably like somebody else deal with that please yeah yeah i know i think
0: uh yeah it works out well i think you're the same way you know mm-hmm. you like to be pretty hands-on with all the business side of that too so you get it
1: yeah yeah i mean really early on i mean like for me it was more about like i wanted opportunities to perform and like you know if you if you're, if you're not going to sit around and wait for someone to call, you got to create your own opportunities. And if you're going to create your own opportunities, then it's, you know, you're, you're learning the business on the fly. You're just like, all right, here we go. I'm going to try to find gigs. I'm going to contract them or not and learn the hard way. Like I, I did a gig in your area. You're in the Fox Valley area. I did a gig, uh, or, or booked a gig for a festival. And it was my first time where I didn't, uh, where, where like I showed up for the gig and they were like, yeah, we're not going to have you guys, and there was no contract. You know, like I didn't contract anything. Oh my god! And I was like, <laughs> "That's awful." Yeah, it was some real. I don't know. I don't remember what the festival was, uh, but it was like the day of. They told us, "No, you're not going to play," and uh, and I went, "All right, I got to contract everything from now on, and I got to figure out." I went to my father in law. I was like, "Can you help me?" Because he did a whole bunch of stand up comedy it was like, he sent me his performance contract that they used for their travels. And I kind of modified that, you know? Yeah. I know that stuff
0: is key and crucial to anything, especially, I mean, obviously when, when the COVID stuff came around, it was a little more flexibility than my contract allowed, but you know, even now more important than ever to kind of have all your ducks in a row and plan ahead and be
1: protected to a degree yeah 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 are you you're you're playing a lot uh what's your like yearly gig load look like
0: yeah i do play pretty actively um at one point i think i was playing 300 plus gigs a year here in the fox valley and i mean this is a smaller market but you were out here for a time in college you know there's a thriving scene and What I always tell people is, you know, I looked at moving to places like Minneapolis or Chicago or Austin or something. And if you're willing to drive an hour and a half in one of those major cities, that might get you just outside of the city, right? But where I am, at least in Oshkosh, I could go to Green Bay, Madison, Milwaukee, Central Wisconsin, Door County, all within an hour and a half, maybe two hours at the worst. So yeah. There's a all,
1: ton of places I can go to quickly. Right. And all kind of in the heart of Wisconsin, which maybe, you know, people listening might not think of as a bustling metropolis of gigs, you know, but it's like, yeah, I've said this a lot. It's like, you can kind of, and, and now that I live like way up in the UP, I'm second guessing this idea, but you can kind of make it anywhere. It's like, you could make a, a scene happen wherever you are. I'm in like now where I am, I'm in such a small place that it's like, there really isn't a lot happening and it's really difficult to get things going much more difficult than what I experienced in Wisconsin and what I experienced in Minneapolis area. You know, it was like, it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, learning experience to be in a very small town and then really have to travel to Chicago or Minneapolis or get a flight somewhere to, to play at a higher level, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm lucky. I haven't been confronted with that. And There's a lot of really, you know, top level players living in this area. I haven't felt like I can't find players to do the things I want to do musically. Yeah. And I found my kind of, I mean, honestly, there's so many people that I have my own kind of click of people I do connect with and gravitate to musically or personally or with the same sort of vision. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for us to, challenge ourselves, write music, play in cool places, play for good audiences who are listening, you know, or this jobbing side of things, weddings and
1: wine bars and casual gigs. Yeah. There's work, there's work that you don't necessarily have to create. So along those lines, like how, you know, in terms of percentages, what's, what, what, what percentage of the gigs you're playing are gigs that you book and you created versus gigs you're getting called to play as a freelancer.
0: Yeah, I'd say, I would bet 75% of the gigs I'm playing, I booked or had a hand in. Wow. I'm lucky I have a few people who are aggressive at booking and call me to play, and I'm grateful for them. Yep. Honestly, sometimes I feel like it's to my own detriment that I you know, book most of the gigs because I might lock myself down quickly or far ahead and then get a cool call last minute to play something and I'm not available or... I try to limit how often I sub out. I don't try to one up gigs. Oh, this right. one pays a little more. Let me shift to this one and find a sub. Right. Um, maybe once in a while, especially if it's a cool opportunity, but yeah, yeah. most of the gigs I'm playing, I book. Um, and it's a lot of places I've played before, you know, yeah, standing sure. relationships with places.
1: Right, right. So are you then, because you're booking, so I did this for a long time where I booked tons of bands and I took no money for myself. And, and in hindsight, I wonder how good a decision that was. I mean, like in terms of, in terms, just in terms of burnout, like when I, when I got to that next level and like, you know, was playing with Youngblood and Nookie Jones, it was like, we had systems worked out. Like if you do this extra work, you're going to get extra bread for that work. And I think that's healthy for morale. Are you doing that for yourself? Are you taking a a cut of gigs where you do the extra work where you're bringing, I mean, I saw in one of your videos, you're like bringing lights and you're bringing sound stuff and you're bringing cameras and stuff like that. Like, are you getting a little extra, are you doing 10%, 15%, something like that? It's not always a strict percentage. Um, definitely with that, like
0: the larger funk band, Pocket Kings, you know, there's seven or eight people on stage. So booking it is a challenge because it's not like I can book a $300 gig and that's going to make everyone happy. Right. So they're, you know, higher price tag gigs. And there's also more work that goes into organizing set lists, making sure the charts are there. Everyone knows where to be when. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I usually do run sound and and bring the lights and stuff. So I do get a, a pretty healthy cut on top of that. Um, but once in a while, like we played a gig a couple weeks ago and it was a smaller brewery thing, like a Black Friday morning party. And uh, I didn't take an extra cut just because it didn't pay a lot. And so I'll be a team player once in a while on that stuff. Yeah. But a lot of times I'm able to take a nice cut where it makes me really excited about all the extra work that goes into that because... You know, I could get into a gig a half hour before and probably be set up in time for downbeat if we're not doing like sound checks or a lot of extra stuff ahead of time. Right, right. But when I'm bringing sound and lights, I think 90 minute 90 minutes ahead of the gig would be like really cutting it close.
1: Yeah, because you so sometimes set that, two hours. I mean, you guys have that drum set too. Like <laughs> so that could take 30 yeah. minutes. You
0: know, if you're if you're going slow. I've got it all down to a science, you know, and with how much I've gigged over the last 10 years. I don't really like to interrupt the flow of things and like, all right, let me bring a different drum set today. Cause that'll be the same, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I can do it quickly and I've, you know, learned to be efficient with it, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of work with drums PA and you know, now everything is more complex with PAs for you're going to mic more instruments just for the sake of having in ears or something. Mm-hmm. Can't just be always like, yeah, throw a mic on the kick drum and put the vocals through and and we're good to go, you know, because the guitars have amps or something. Right. Try to do a little bit more
1: now once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, your YouTube channel and how you grew it. When, when did you start making YouTube videos? Yeah, I was
0: thinking about that in uh, preparation to talk today. I think sometime in college is when I probably first signed up. I got like, you know, those zoom audio recorders. I had one of those in high school and then in college, I remember they came out with one with a video camera Mm -hmm. built into it. So, you know, the audio didn't sound as terrible, but uh, I think I would just take that to gigs and once in a while, like post a video mostly for the sake of like, all right, this is what my trio sounds like. So I could try to book gigs, you know, it was mostly for marketing purposes. Um, And then I did that through college and I did a little more at some point in like 2016 or 2015, 2017. I don't know for sure. I did try to get a YouTube channel started with recording some drum covers and such with, you know, microphones and multiple camera angles. Yep. And I think I lasted for, (laughs) I don't know, seven to 10 weeks of putting out a video every week. And coming up with something to do
1: did you see did you notice a bump when you did that like when you were consistent for seven to ten weeks did you notice or was it nominal and it was it was so much work that you were like i'm i can't keep doing this
0: yeah at that time i was lucky i wasn't teaching out of my home so i could sort of just leave stuff set up however i wanted so yeah and come in and play and be ready to go but I think I got discouraged cause I was taking on pretty like hefty projects of like trying to learn this whole thing or play a cool drum solo over this and that. And uh, so I think I just got burnt out on trying to keep up with doing that every week. That's a little exhausting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was going to say like watching some of your videos, you know, you've got these great transcription videos where you've got the drum transcription on the bottom part of the page and then you're playing the transcription along with the video in in some cases it's blurred out now for copyright reasons i would assume but but like like i was watching the you know you did a bunch from the silk maybe every silk sonic song did you do every song from the record yeah i did the whole album yeah i saw i saw a whole bunch of them uh yeah and so like that i was thinking to myself like this is this is not just sit down, record yourself playing along. This is like transcribe it, learn it exactly, write it out, get it up on the screen, play along perfectly, get a perfect take of you playing along, you know, uh, and then also uploading it, creating a graphic, all that stuff. So that's that's yeah. got to be a, a a significant time commitment to make those videos.
0: It is, yeah. Well, and I got restarted with the videos again in uh... – a. 2020, when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Okay. I think first it was necessity, right? I needed to record videos for my students of like one thing I realized quickly when all the lessons shifted online is we can't play together simultaneously with the delay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, our, you know, face to face lessons will be more of like a contact and catch up and let me hear you play. And then I'll send you links to videos of me playing, whether it's a warm up or an etude or a drum set solo we're working on and I'll have a count off and I'll have a few different tempos so you can use it as a practice tool. Mm -hmm. And then I think, I don't know, within a few weeks of everything being shut down and kind of realizing like, yeah, I don't think I'm gigging or making music with anyone anytime soon. I just decided like, well, let's do a transcription of a jazz solo or something and post it. And let's try to do something every week just to keep myself practicing and excited about working on music aside from just, you know, my zoom calls with students. Yeah. And so uh, I think one of the first ones I did was actually someone you had on the podcast, one of his songs, uh, Jason Fabus. Oh yeah. Huh? Yeah. He did like a trio record with uh, just sax, bass and piano, I think, or guitar of all just like kind of old timey.
1: Yeah. He likes tunes. that
0: old timey stuff. Yeah. And there's a drummer that I follow who made a play along to one of them, just playing drums. And I was like, Oh, cool. Well let me try my hand at one of those and post it. And that was cool. Cause he saw it and reached out and, you know, said some nice things. Cool. Nice. And I think within the first few weeks I did a transcription of Carl Allen. Yep. Great jazz drummer. And, uh, he saw it and reached out and, was like, Hey, can you send me that transcription you wrote out? So it was a great way to connect with some people I really respect, um, and get them to take notice of what I'm doing, which was encouraging at first to keep it going. Right.
1: Right. So where, where were you in the subscriber land when you started in 2020? I assume that you had some foundation of subscribers just from having a channel. Like for me, yeah. It was like, I had like 500 subscribers when I finally decided like, all right, I'm going to try to make content that people on YouTube might want to see and might want to subscribe to. You know what I mean? It's like, I was yeah started, started to get intentional at that time.
0: I had about a hundred and a little over a hundred, maybe 120, 130, okay. I think. And it was pretty slow growth at first. Cause honestly what I was doing was more, you know, satisfying for me, I think. Yep. Um, you know, I did like everyone did, like those Brady Bunch style videos with all the boxes of people playing. Yes. Did plenty of those and that was cool to be able to make music with friends and stuff and I don't know, some at some point in that first year I started thinking about how can I make videos that would be more people would find without knowing me, right? Yep. Because everything I'd done if it was one of my original songs or music with friends, just playing a Toto song or something. It's like, you know, no one's going to find that randomly. So what can I do that, you know, might have a little more mass appeal or staying right. power? What's mm-hmm. going to be relevant to watch in two years, as opposed yep. to like, I did this today and shared it with my friends. Mm-hmm. So eventually I got into doing some restoring drums or rebuilding drums or different projects. Cause that's always something I've done my dad's a carpenter. So I kind of grew up woodworking. So eventually the two kind of met.
1: Yeah. Nice. I was going to mention your, your like drum repair drum gear. I just saw you had like a Sonic cleaner, like a, like a, whatever that is. I don't know if that's called Sonic ultrasonic cleaner, ultrasonic cleaner. Yeah. Like where you put a bunch of parts in there and then took them out and they were a little cleaner. Uh, yeah, yeah, those videos seem to do really well like a lot of people are that old lugwig kit that I watched that whole video of you restoring that old lugwig kit that you got for 75 bucks or whatever you know and then at the end yeah. it was like I was watching uh you know, it was like, I was watching, uh, a, a, like a channel on the home network or whatever, where they're, where they're going to houses and they're like all in, we're, you know, $137,000 on the, on the river. And you were like 75 yeah. bucks for the kid, you know, four bucks for this 34 bucks for that, for whatever I'm all in for this much money. You know, it's like, it was, it was a fun uh, video to watch, even as somebody that's not like, I'm not into drum gear really. That's not what I'm into, but I enjoyed yeah. watching it, you know?
0: Yeah. And honestly, some of those videos have really done super well, uh, and helped introduce me to more people who do that in this world or, you know, gotten a chance to meet or work with some cool people because of that. So it's been super rewarding in that aspect. And a video like that, that Ludwig kit restoration, I like to check the stats on it. Cause now it's made more money than I even invested in the kit and all the parts. So Okay, yeah. That vi- so that video paid for the project, which is cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and I, I like the style that you that you're using too. Like you did this on your uh, "A Day in the Life of a Working Drummer" video too, where it's just like it's basically all sped up video, and you're doing voiceover talking over the sped up video. Um, and I, that's a really cool format. I I think it works in a lot of different contexts. Um, but I was gonna ask like you start making videos in 2020. When did you get to, it's like you have to have 4,000 watch hours and at least a thousand subscribers, right? Those, that's like the yeah, minimum yeah. to be able I to think monetize. Those are the
0: big, those are the big metrics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So hit. when did, when did you finally hit that? Was it like, was it like your Silk Sonic video got a half a million views and all of a sudden it was like, bam, yeah. all right, I'm there. Or like, for me, it was like one video. And then I was like, okay, now I can build on this. You know, it was that, yeah. That Silk Sonic video, I put
0: it out on the day that first single came out, leave the door open in I don't know, 2021, like in the spring. Yep. And I wasn't even planning to do that. I thought like, I've kind of get into this routine because I teach out of my studio throughout the week. I can't really have things set up to record. And I'm a very like neat and organized person. So I can't just have microphone cables laying around and cameras set up and people trying to weave through it in and out of lessons. Yep. So a lot of times on like Fridays, I'll carve that whole day off knowing that I have the weekend with no lessons Mm -hmm. to like, all right, the studio is now a video studio and I'm going to do something this week. And so I think it was like Thursday night I was planning to like, well, what if I, you know, transcribe this Wolfpack tune that I really like. And then I saw Bruno Mars kind of make a announcement about a single dropping the next morning. And so when I woke up, I listened to it and I was like, well, if I made a drum cover of this, just kind of jamming to it. I can maybe get on that sort of like first day wave of excitement with the song. Totally. And then the more I listened to it, I was like, well, the drum part is really
1: interesting. It's not just a loop over and over again. Man, It's super rich. It's so hip. It's like really open that first time through the melody is like super open. It's like, it's like different pieces, like nothing's at the same time, you know? And then later yeah. on the groove gets thicker. It's like really like, watching the transcription made me go like, man, Anderson pack is a badass drummer. This is really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and so I, I don't know. I probably spent two or three hours that morning, just transcribing everything and getting it right. And then I, I kind of committed like, let's get this out today. So then I spent an hour or two, you know, playing it. And that one wasn't so complex. Cause it's slower. Yep. There's more space in a lot of it. So it's like, all right, I probably just got to really figure out some stuff at the end to be able to execute this in one take, you know, to yep. put it together and then, you know, edited it and got the transcription and got it on the video. It took a few hours and I think I got it up by like four or five o'clock. I'm pretty sure I had a gig that night because I remember going to the gig and just, I had shared it to some Facebook groups and stuff related to, you know, drum sheet music or drum covers and things. And Mhm. Yeah, it took off pretty quickly. That was definitely my first uh viral moment, I guess. You know, no. so over the weekend it oh, you know, it hit ten thousand views. I've never had that on a video before. Oh, it hit a hundred thousand views. Oh my god. And you know, within a couple of days, I had gone from maybe six hundred subscribers to a thousand to two thousand really quickly.
1: Wow. Man. Yeah, that's yeah. nuts, man. That's nuts. Like one one video can do that. Like that for me, like the I did this beginner trumpet video and it's like, it's hundreds of thousands of views now. And tons of subscribers have come from that. And I'll like promote my new videos on that video and get people to come over to my other stuff and go like, Hey, I've got a, I've got a playlist of uh, other educational material for trumpet. You know what I mean? It's like, I w I didn't even want to make, I didn't even want to make that kind of content, but it was like, all right, people want to see this, I guess. And and so here we go. I'm going to make it. And it's all the same stuff I talk about with my students. Anyways, so I was like, I'll just start, I'll just turn on a camera and start talking about trumpet. Uh, but it was like, it took that one. And it really, for me, it wasn't overnight. Like I, like I've heard, I listened to this other podcast that I mentioned on the episode that just came out on Monday, the DIY musician podcast. And they talk about how cover artists or like singer songwriters will do what you did, with the drum cover where they'll like they'll capitalize on that initial wave of a big artist releasing a new song and they'll immediately do a cover of whatever the first single is, you know? And like, that's how they'll be like, like a lot of people have built followings that way. Um, So that's really cool and strategic. But one of the things I was going to say earlier is that like one of the cool things about YouTube, I think is, is that you can release a video and a year later it can, it can catch or end up on somebody's playlist or whatever. And then it ends up becoming this huge this huge source of, of for me, income and uh, you know, subscribers for future content. Uh, You know, YouTube. Absolutely. Just like, just be consistent, put stuff out uh, and see what, see what happens, you know?
0: I know I still like that was definitely somewhat strategic to get it out that day and kind of shift gears and like, all right, this seems like something worth doing but i had no idea if that song was going to be successful or impactful i think that was like that song's impact on the music industry was pretty crazy cuz it you know it had this whole nostalgic feel yep in a time where music feels very computerized and programmed and simplistic harmonically mm-hmm. or rhythmically like that was really different yep and i think it kind of anyone who enjoyed music found something they liked in it there was pop there was stuff for people who kind of resent pop music or modern stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I got really lucky that worked out. And so I I pretty quickly decided as they would put out singles every few months over that year, like, all right, I gotta, I gotta put this in my calendar when this single comes out to carve out this day and try to replicate on that success.
1: Yeah. What you've done. I mean, it's a, a lot of the Other videos are in the tens of thousands of views. I think one of them has maybe 144,777 maybe. Um, Yeah, like that's great. And some of
0: them really didn't do well, especially when the whole album came out and the last batch of, I don't know, seven or eight songs got kind of dumped at once. Yep. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to tackle all that immediately. And by that time, I had developed kind of a vision of what I wanted to do with my channel, which wasn't just strictly transcriptions. Yeah. So, uh, we kind of had to fit it into the schedule of everything else, but yeah, they've done really well. And some of them are doing better
1: now than when they started. So, right. Right. So what's, what is the vision for your channel now? Like I, one of the things I noticed is that you've got a ton of content, you know, it's like a lot of different kinds of things. You've got some stuff of like your trio playing jazz stuff. You've got, you know, drum repair videos, gear videos, uh, And then of course your transcription videos, are you, are you, are you now taking all of this information as data and going like, okay, these are the ones that people want to see. And now I'm going to make that kind of stuff. Or are you continuing to kind of throw stuff at the wall and see if something aligns better with what you want to do?
0: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm still surprised even, you know, I've been doing this close to three years now every week and I'm still getting surprised when I put something out and think like, uh, no one's gonna watch this or this is just filling space until the next interesting video, right? And some of those will hit, you know? And YouTube with the algorithm and everything, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it, Yeah. but I can tell when they put something through it, you know? Yeah, The numbers are a lot different than what I would typically see. But even the thing I did put out yesterday I kind of thought that was just going to be like all right well i have to release it since i put all this work into it and it's it's doing okay and i think that one will have staying power over time i think about the videos a lot especially now that i'm monetized and videos are able to generate some level of revenue for me yep i think about them like investments and buying stocks like or a savings account like all right you put this away early and check on it in a year and it might add up to something and there's a compounding interest effect of like, well, now this video has tens of thousands of views. So more people are going to flock to it and watch it because it stands out, you know, in the whole world of videos that are out there.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've, uh, learned now, like researching this stuff, um, is that a lot of YouTubers that make their living on YouTube, they're making their money a different way than ad revenue. Ad revenue is a small portion of how they make their income. Uh, So I guess I have a a couple questions related to that. A, have you gotten any kind of um, sponsorship deals or are people sending you gear? Like you you do some like Bosphorus unboxing symbols videos and stuff like that. Is Bosphorus sending you symbols? Is that one, uh, like... Extra way that you're able to kind of capitalize on the success of your channel, or are you have you considered? The other question is, have you considered selling any kind of merch, creating any kind of drum merch to sell on your channel?
0: I have, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of open to things evolving as the channel grows. Um, I've had a few companies send me things to try on the channel. Last year, uh, SC Electronics, they make really nice microphones that I've used before. They sent me a few mics to one to do a review. And then one just as a thank you for making the video, which cool. was cool. And that stuff I use on my gigs and I enjoy using. So nice to me, it's not just like, well, they sent me something and now I got to throw it somewhere and never use it again. Right. That so was actually useful. Um, I put out a video last week on a percussion. They make kind of effects and percussion accessories. And, uh, I didn't reach out to him in advance to let him know I wanted to do this. I just was like, well, I'll make it on something I bought and really like. And he reached out that day and said, hey, I want to send you a box of stuff. No pressure to make a video, but one, as a thank you. And two, I appreciate seeing people who like work in music, not just make videos, use my stuff and appreciate it. So, right, right. He wanted some feedback on what I thought of these things. So that was cool. And, I've had a few other things like that. People send stuff for me to check out, which I like gear. I used to kind of have a little bit of like embarrassment about that. Cause I think some musicians kind of pride themselves on like, Oh, I don't worry about the gear. I'll play whatever's there. I don't know. Yep. I enjoy it. I worked in a music store. I like that stuff.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, Ian Allison said a really similar thing on the podcast on his episode where he was like the thing that I always thought, you know, he, what he said was like the, the, the sound is in your fingers, man. You know, it's like, that's what he always heard as a bass player. And he like loves making his bass sound like a synth and loves me, you know, using all these various different effects. And he, he said, you know, when he finally allowed himself to lean into those things that he really liked, that was when a lot of stuff opened up for him. Right. He got a lot of opportunities through Scott's bass lessons and, um, so I think that's a really interesting perspective on gear. I like per like personally, I probably fall into the other camp where like, I just have not been into trumpet gear, at least, at least as it pertains to trumpet. I have not been into trumpet gear. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not, that's just not, I know so many trumpet heads that are like obsessed with mouthpieces and like all these different things. And it's like, that's never really been, you know, it's never really been how I, Operate. So then my idea is like, oh, what's the thing that I love that I can lean into that kind of makes me nerdy and, uh, and interesting and that I can lean into on the internet to, to maybe, you know, build a following.
0: Yeah. And I think the drum world is kind of unique with that. Like, you know, when I was in college, I got to see how kind of every, you know, group of people playing an instrument kind of chit chat about their instrument or talk shop and stuff. And, Oh, Claire has like a really, uh, distinct trumpet culture. So yes, it does. They, they all play the same horn and they all play the same mouthpiece and man, you know, and they all sound great. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I can relate to that. I think maybe drums is really unique because there's so much that goes into an instrument. Yeah. Like, and I'm probably speaking as someone who doesn't know, but with trumpet, I think like, all right, you got your horn, you got your mouthpiece and you got your mutes and then you can buy a fancy case or something, but there's only like you know five or six things, and really like you could get started with three things, and kind of oh, yeah. be well equipped to go do a lot of things with oh, your yeah. instrument.
1: Oh yeah, I mean like Drums. some of my favorite trumpet players in the world is like they're just using the same box Stradivarius model 37. It's like that's it, you know. Yeah, nothing fancy. Twelve hundred bucks. Three C mouthpiece, right? Yeah, man. It's what they all use.
0: But uh, with drums, there's so much because, like, even for a kid buying their first drum set, it's hard to even find a pack that comes with everything you need. But you need the actual drums, you need the hardware, the pedals, the stands, you need cymbals, you need a throne. You got to pick out the right kind of heads for your situation. Like, it's a little bit overdone, and some of it annoys me in the drum world because, like, there are companies marketing like specific cymbal felts just the felts for the stands that like these are made out of a special foam that's going to make your cymbals resonate more, you know, and then yeah. there's all the accessories and things you could grab quickly to augment your sound or mm-hmm. different things. So it's, it's kind of overwhelming, but I think drummers have so many options of things to kind of customize their instrument that that's like, there's a big demand and market for people like talking about those things or making those things with a DIY approach or, you know, modifying instruments. So it's worked well for me. And that's a, you know, before I was even making that stuff, I always watched channels that were doing things like that. So
1: yeah, comes very natural to me. Nice. So what about, uh, what about merch? I mean, it's like, there's a pretty, maybe, maybe feels weird to even think about that, that like you could be a person who people want to buy merch from, but like, you know, when I see channels that do it, this is something I haven't done yet, but I'm sort of planning on like a hat with a trumpet on it. You know what I mean? Or like like something simple. I don't even have to say my name. It's just like a hat with a trumpet on it, you know? Um, I
0: agree, yeah. That's like, stuff
1: I think about, you know, doing one day because
0: it's so easy to set up like a merch shop where you don't have to purchase inventory. Exactly, yeah. And worry about making money. So it's something I'll probably do down the road. I've kind of very... I kind of made a commitment that with my channel, I don't want to like over present myself too quickly. I want to build up a relationship is like, I don't want people to be offended or annoyed by me trying to like turn my channel into a business too quickly. Right, right, right. But yeah, it is something kind of on my mind. I've even thought about like, I decided on Black Friday a couple of weeks ago, I saw like a podcast. I really like put up a a post on Instagram, like. Hey, we don't sell merch, but I bought these stickers, so if you want to support the podcast, I'll send you one for five bucks shipped and so I was like, of course, yeah i'll I'll do that. I listen to this guy every week, like yeah, that's it's cool. the least I can do,
1: and yeah. I don't really
0: have an ambition right now to do like Patreon or something, right, but I do have ways for people to support my channel um on the transcription videos, I can't make ad revenue off that because of the copyright. I was gonna ask if it's shared revenue or if you if it's none at all, okay. Some of them have been shared revenue, but the Silksonic ones, which uh, I would guess that would have made me tons of money um, by the amount of views they got. Yes. Um, I kind of forfeit that opportunity. But honestly, those videos, what they did for me in terms of bringing people to my channel, the watch hours. Yep. Like, I think I could just depend on that one Silksonic video to get me the watch hours I need every year to keep me in good status with monetizing but when i started when i first released that video i I put it in the comments within a day or two like if you're interested in getting the transcription a pdf um just send me an email and i told people like you can donate here's my venmo paypal if you want to support because i spent a lot of time on this but if you just subscribed to my channel i will send it to you for free and uh that got overwhelming with how many people were reaching out especially in the beginning So I ended up saying like, look, the video is free and that's a resource you can utilize as much as you want. Mm -hmm. And even though that doesn't make me money, it still helps me by getting more views and traction on the channel. Yeah. If you want the transcription, I will give it to you. You just have to make a donation of any amount. You can give a buck, five bucks. Some people, someone gave me $50 for a transcription and I was blown away. I, I emailed them back and said, can I send you the whole, catalog of this Silk Sonic stuff because uh that was extremely generous and i wasn't expecting that but i keep track of that stuff last december i released a video kind of talking about all the different ways i made money and mm-hmm. uh revenue with the channel
1: cool and i think maybe i did not I made... watch that I, i'll watch that i did not watch that one that
0: didn't one. get a lot of traction i'm gonna do it again this year in a few weeks um because okay. i think that'll be there's a a carpenter who i follow who does that every year does hmm. like a subscriber update, revenue, and he really is very transparent about this is money I took from advertisers or this is, you know, products I was given for free and the value of those right. to try out. And I really appreciate that because like as someone who's aggressively working to grow my channel, it's nice to see how someone with a hundred thousand subscribers what could
1: this grow to if I really work at it? You know? Yeah, totally, man. And, and, and so along those lines, do you foresee, you know, increasing what you're doing with your channel and decreasing other things in your life? Like I, I, you know, like I know you're teaching drums out of your home, you're gigging a, a boatload. Uh, do you imagine that maybe someday the balance will shift a little, or is that just something you deal with as, as it comes?
0: Yeah. I kind of deal with it as it comes. I love playing live. Um, and I love teaching. I never thought I would love private lessons, especially with younger kids and beginners as much as I do. Yeah. Um, and honestly that stuff really helps give me ideas and things I can do with the videos. I don't do a lot of lesson videos, but it's something I might, um, I have a second channel where I just dumped all those videos I made for my students. Okay. Of kind of like playthroughs and stuff. And I've thought about maybe investing more energy into making those higher quality and redoing them. Hmm. Cause for all my teaching, I just write my own worksheets and such for yep. students. I'm pretty good with finale. So yeah, I do a lot I've of that realized, too. Yeah. And I've realized that's a skill and like, I haven't tried to put a book together, mm-hmm. but when I put those videos up, people find them and I had it in the comments, like a Dropbox link, if you wanted to download the free PDF. And that's been cool. So it's something I might invest more into down the yeah. road.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I see a lot of people selling PDFs, $5 PDF, $10 PDF, things like that. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to hear you say, like, I'll give it to you for free. And then and then the response was so overwhelming. It became like, all right, make some kind of donation and I'll give it to you. I think musicians sometimes are, are uh, like... Hesitant to charge money for things, <laughs> you know, even yeah. as it, when it comes to gigs, like that was one of the things I had to learn really early was like, oh, I can actually charge a lot more for this kind of gig than I've been charging. And actually one of those moments for me, and maybe you heard me say this, but, uh, I, there was like a, a private party that Gianna's trio got asked to play. And, and, uh, it was like at this guy's mansion. And I was like, yeah, how about 600 bucks? You know? And it was like, th- it was the three of us. And they were like, yeah, sure. Perfect. Sounds good. You know, it was like, it was $600 was nothing to them. It was, there was zero hesitation. And I went like, okay, I got to find the the <laughs> point where there's a little bit of hesitation and then maybe a little bit of back and forth. You know, it's like, I didn't say it. I didn't, I maybe should have said 1500 and then they would have said, eh, can we do 12 or can we do, you know what I mean? It's like, then, then you, then you're making a little bit more money, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I wonder about this aversion to, My dad was like this, my dad owned a cell phone store and he would, he would go, I can't charge $34 for a car charger. Adam, like I only pay $2 for it. You know, it's an aftermarket car charger. And I was like, dad at the mall, they're charging 35 bucks for that. And everybody's buying them, you know, but it's like, there's something in us. That's like, we shouldn't charge for this stuff. But really it's like, you know, you're, you're doing this transcription work. You're spending a bunch of time on the video. Uh, I think it's great that you, you and I didn't think to put like my Venmo on my channel. Actually, I should just do that. I I haven't done that myself.
0: I know um, YouTube has like a, it's a newer feature, like a give thanks, or I know if you do live streams, you could do a super chat. Right, 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 right. You know, I'm a huge NFL fan, like diehard Packers fan, and there are channels I consume every day, and I feel like twice a week, I'm paying $4 to get my question answered by the podcast host.
1: Ah, yeah, right, uh, right. That's very twitchy, right? That's like Twitch does that. I think so. Um, yeah, I've just,
0: I haven't messed around with Twitch much or consumed it,
1: uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of akin to that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I've I've seen other sites adding the ability to to have a tip jar and things like that too, which I think is helpful. Spotify has like a thing now where you can you can do like a charitable cause or something, something that you care about. It's like you can have people okay, donate that's to cool. It. But it's also, it's always interesting, man. I always see people like, if you're a musician and you, and you have a platform, you should be driving people to spend money on these various different things. And I'm always like, yo, it's hard enough. Like I, I, yes, I care about causes and I want people to donate to causes, but also like I am a musician and I have bills to pay. And if I were (laughs) like, if I were at the next, next level, like way up and I was making enough money that I was like really comfortable, then it becomes like, okay, how can I use my platform to like really make a monetary difference in the lives of others. It's like musicians are making a difference in the lives of others all the time. Um, Essentially what we're just like, we're putting our souls into, into our music and, and it's, you know, it's obvious when you're at a show and you're playing for people, it's obvious you can feel that energy in the room. But yeah, it's i I'm always grappling with that. Like with that, like how concerned should I be with this stuff? How, how, you know, how much, should I be focusing on art and how much should I be focusing on monetization? You know.
0: Yeah, I deal with that a lot, especially with the channel of like, should I try to make something that I think will result in more revenue for me? Or should I just try to make something that's fun and a cover of my favorite song and I can't monetize it because it's going to go to the copyright holder? And yep, I don't know, I try to do a give and take of each. I think that's part of the reason. I do a lot of things to make my income as a musician between teaching, gigging with bands, playing church gigs or recording other people or, and with the content creation. So I think the channel kind of reflects that with doing a variety of things. I think if I did a transcription every week, I would burn out or if I did a drum cover or a drum
1: restoration, I'd never be able to keep up with that on a weekly routine. Yep. Yeah. So, and it's important, right? That that's a super important balance to find. It's like, you have to find a place where you can do it regularly where it's not so much work that you're going to burn out. Like that's so important because doing it regularly is a huge part of building.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. I think people may see my channel and think I'm doing this every week, but a lot of the stuff that gets released, I might wrap up those videos a month or two prior hmm. and they just kind of sit waiting to be released I kind of have, you know, ebbs and flows of when I'm really aggressively filming and editing and recording voiceovers. And like right now I haven't edited or worked on a video since the beginning of November, but in the beginning of November, I wrapped up like six or seven videos between end of October and before I left on this trip
1: in November. Yeah. So, so you're ahead of it. You're getting ahead of it. You're scheduling them. you like putting them up and then scheduling them. Yeah. Yeah. Always. That's great. When I first
0: started, it was just like, all right, what can I do this week? I got it done on Sunday so I can release it on Monday. Yep.
1: Yep. I feel like I've never really been able to get ahead of it. I've tried. I've tried with the podcast, like try to do two, two interviews a week. Like maybe I can do two interviews a week and it's just like, it gets, it gets too crazy. And then I'll get. I'll get ahead like three weeks and then I'll be like, okay, I can breathe. And then all of a sudden it's the week I got to release a new video and I'm like, Oh no, I got to, you know what I mean? So it's, like, it's hard. It's hard to stay ahead. I mean, with video yeah. content, with anything that you're that you're doing that, that, that really needs uh, needs that consistency, you know?
0: Yeah. And early on, I remember we have a mutual friend, Jake Crow. Oh yeah. You went to school with him. Yeah. I, yeah. We went to school together. We were working on a cover and, you know, I, it was down to the deadline of like, this is going out tomorrow and I need your video and your recording now. And it's like, it wasn't going to happen. And I had to put together a whole video in an afternoon. And so that was stressful. So now I try to put myself in the position where it's like, Oh yeah, this won't come out for two months or three months. Right. Um, which has been helpful. And honestly, I try to take advantage of, you know, I have a pretty good mobile recording rig. And a way to do things. And especially when you play larger scale shows, you can get a board mix so easily. Yeah. From a front of house guy if they're friendly. So every once in a while, I'll try to bring a camera or two down to a gig and, like, well, let me do a, I'll just record this gig and then I'll have a couple videos from it that I can release whenever I'm in a bind or a pinch. You know, so, and yeah. some of those have turned out, I thought they would just be like, all right, this is just a placeholder to get me through. And some of them have been very well received. So,
1: yeah, it's really interesting how you don't know what's gonna hit. I mean, like a lot of people have come on the podcast and said just that. Like you never know. It's 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 often the thing that you don't think is going to that does, or the thing that you kind of did because you really love to do this thing, but you just didn't think that it would resonate with people. Grace Kelly said that. You know, Uh, for me, it's like I've done these just recently i've done these couple i've got a couple of reels where i'm i'm remixing somebody else and i'm playing along on my horn and it's like it's so dumb man it's like i've i've spent so much time with microphones like making my horn sound really good and a lot of times those videos do well uh ish but like these stupid little reels where I just set up my phone in my office and I literally play with no microphone. I don't put any reverb or anything on it. I don't EQ my horn at all. It just sounds like my phone capturing my horn. They get tens of thousands of views and hundreds and hundreds of likes. I mean, one of them's got 900 likes or something. It's the easily the, the most popular reel I've, I've posted on Instagram and it's these dumb little things. At least it's me playing trumpet. Like that makes me feel good. It's like, oh, okay. It's me improvising, which is nice. People are, people like that. That's cool. But it's yeah. like, man, I've spent zero time. This is the thing that takes me zero time. And it's the thing that people are are liking the most. That seems counterintuitive and frustrating. I think there's a, a fraction of the people consuming content
0: that appreciate kind of honesty, especially in a world where things can look so polished and it's like, this guy did a hundred takes of this and it's yeah. cut and spliced of each one. And you can't tell cause there's so many camera angles that you're totally overwhelmed by what he's doing anyways. Mm. I think sometimes people see like, especially like my favorite jazz musicians I would follow online. It's like, wow, that's just them on an iPhone. And they sound like this sounds like a record. They sound so good.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It doesn't
0: sound like that when I take my phone to my gig or something, you know? <laughs> so I think there's something about that. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny because I feel like for me personally, I decided at some point through this journey, like I don't want to release content that is very low tech. Mm -hmm. Like I think one of the things I do well is it is a very polished, good sounding, good looking thing. So if I'm taking videos at gigs, even if they are reels, it's usually my kind of nicer Sony camera that I just leave set up and mix it with the audio I recorded. It yeah. doesn't have to be a huge endeavor, but I try to step it up that way as part of my brand, that everything is a little bit higher quality than just my phone. But then sometimes I think like if I just did this on my phone, it would be 10 times easier. I just need to bring a stand or something to clip it to. Yeah. Good to go.
1: Yeah, man. I've got a, I've got a bunch of them looking at my ring light here that has a little cell phone thing on. It. it's like, I'm using my phone for a lot of my stuff, but I'll, I'll also, you know, record audio and then and then pair audio to video for a lot of the stuff that I do, but it's man, this recent stuff where I'm just like, whatever, throw out my phone, play, really quick, right before I got to go teach a class, and then I throw it up on Instagram and it explodes. It's like, what the,
0: man, yeah. Well, and like you know, maybe Why? that's gonna meet you one person who will buy your next album or something.
1: Yeah, for well, me, that's it's amazing hope. how many followers come in from those. I mean, it's nuts. It's like, oh that's a huge way of reaching people. And then, yeah, hopefully they stick around and, you know, so I'm I'm viewing a lot of the stuff I do on Spotify that same way. Like, you know, this is not necessarily like my big art project that I want to do, but it's like a great track. It's fun. It'll maybe hit on a playlist and then I can get people following my channel that maybe will hear the stuff that I release later on. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I think a lot about that stuff and I don't know. I'm pretty encouraged now to keep going because of the, response I've had and having good traction and being able to make money off this. But I have friends who try to get started with that and make it, you know, five weeks and then kind of stalls out. And I'm just always telling them like, just tough it out and don't worry about the response yep. if you can and do something that's manageable. If you can't put out a video every week, then just do it every other week or once a month. Yeah, You could record 12 videos this year, you know, you could do it all this month and just schedule them to come out. Sure. And that wouldn't be too hard to do. And you could do it while you're motivated and then spend 11 months (laughs) just kind of relaxing on the release schedule of it and watching
1: the results play out. Yeah. I very much prefer the approach of myself or at least mentally thinking of it like uh, habits, habits over goals. You know, like I want to create a habit of doing something, More so than uh than I'm focused on the goal of what that might accomplish. It's 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 more about the habit. So if, if it's exactly. about the habit, then it's like keep it small, see if you can do something, yeah, once a month, once once every couple of weeks, whatever you can do, keep it manageable, create the habit and then build on it as it grows, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I say that to a lot of people too, that getting a thousand subscribers is not a realistic goal because you can't control it. You can make great videos for ten years and no one will see them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a good goal is, yeah, I want to make a video every week, you know, or every month, you know, and some of my videos, they take a lot of time. I've been kind of putting off editing this huge five day recording studio trip I had. Mm. And uh, I can't even get myself started to do the voiceover. I wrote the script and it feels like a novel. Wow.
1: But, so you write you know. and read then you like write the script and read it when you're doing those voiceovers. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and like you were talking about with kind of the sped up time-lapse videos, yep. I found that to work really well because like when I first started doing the videos, I really didn't know how to edit like someone who makes videos. I would just play it on the screen and then try to talk about what's going on and yep. it didn't work well. Or it's like, man, I have nothing left to say and this, putting this drum head on has 10 more minutes left to go. And once <laughs> I realized it's like, oh, I can actually drag it to be the exact length I need. So that clip might be. 864% sped up or yep. it might be 2,000% whatever I need to cover that statement I'm talking about that's relative to what's showing on screen.
1: Okay, so you're editing the video to the to the voiceover audio that you wrote out.
0: Yeah, and I'll write that's the script kind of going through the footi- footage to make sure that uh, I kind of catch everything I need to talk about or like, oh, this was unexpected and I had to adapt my plans here or something, but yeah, that's worked really well for me. And I think I kind of have like a a style yeah, and a presence to my videos. And like, there's a lot of cool little things that I feel like people probably don't even catch, but they're kind of uniquely mine. Yeah. Like sure. all the backing tracks I've record myself. Oh, cool. I get kind of drumless tracks from a guy who has like libraries of that stuff, another drummer, and I just record to him. Nice. So it's all original music and. Oh, always yeah, at I, the end I drop the sticks and kind of the song just cuts out. It's kind of a uh, cool little thing I like to do. And yeah, it's helped me
1: kind of develop a personality with it. Yeah. That's fun. I remember in the love book video, you, you said like, and if anyone, and if you're listening to the, the the music behind the video is this drum set, you know, yeah. and yeah. also here's a demonstration at the end of the video, but yeah. Yeah. So it's
0: really cool. And like, I don't feel confident enough to be able to, or to like say, Hey, I'm a professional videographer. Hire me to shoot your coffee shops next commercial. Yep. But I have had a uh, bands that reach out and say like, Hey, I love the way you did this, you know, jazz video in your studio. Can you record a demo for my band, just video and audio? Mm-hmm. And so that's even, you know, been like a side effect of that. The channel is just a virtual business card last year around christmas my trio we just recorded three or four christmas songs Mm -hmm. and kind of you know put some decorations around and released them and i never had demos to send clients for holiday parties of christmas songs it was always like here's what we sound like here's girl from ipanema and then imagine we're playing jingle bells right (laughs) and we could do this
1: for three hours you know yeah 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 so now you can send them jingle bells and go now i can send them
0: video and they're like wow you guys play christmas songs and it's like You know, that's gotten me gigs from that too. So it's not always just the direct income stream from YouTube, but, you know, utilizing the marketing perspective
1: of it. Yeah. And a lot of people are doing like virtual lessons with people that they find that find them on their channel and stuff too. Have you you done any of that? Anybody reach out for lessons ever? I have, yeah. I had a
0: a guy from Toronto a while ago. I have a project called uh, Jazz for 90s Kids. We just kind of like the Scary Pockets idea, but we're a jazz quartet playing songs from the nineties, whether it's TV or pop music or video game music and kind of rearrange them for a jazz group. Cool. And a guy really liked one of those and I gave him, I don't know, three or four lessons over a couple months. Yeah. Nice. Awesome.
1: Well, Hey, I, uh, I'm going to link your channel in the description of the show. So anybody that wants to check out what, uh, what you're doing can find that in the description. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so I, we, we touched on this a little bit. Was there anything that you didn't learn in your music program? We got a lot of people that are major in music. that listen to the show uh, that you wish you had learned in school that you had to learn the hard way. Like maybe, maybe pick one thing. That's the most, that stands out the most.
0: Yeah. I think uh, if you're a music student in college and you have not tackled recording yourself or, utilizing the internet and kind of all facets to at least catalog your work or make you presentable to people, whether that's building a website, Facebook page, Instagram, you know, designing a business card on Canva or something. Mm -hmm. You have to figure that stuff out, you know, to be successful, even if you are going to find a job that pays you a salary, but especially the recording aspect, just being able to record yourself video and audio and put it together to be able to showcase what you do. Cause even if you're a band director, you know, my friends are band directors. They had to do that stuff during COVID put together montages of their kids and whatnot. And oh yeah, I think students like that. I think you can't really get around without being able to do that now.
1: Yeah. It's so. amazing, man. It's like, I, I, that's a, that's a big thing that I wish I had spent more time learning a big thing. Uh, well, awesome, Mike, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it yeah yeah thank you and thank you for listening to my conversation with Mike Malone if you dig the show please tell a friend or share it on social media that helps us out we developed an app called Gig Boss that's free on iOS and Android and it's a way for freelance musicians and band leaders to organize their careers their schedules and finances and there's lots more in the works and it's totally free and I'd love it if you download it and give it a try to organize your stuff There's also a Spotify playlist of all of our guests that are musicians and a Facebook group where we hang out and talk. And that's it. Thanks for listening.